Hi everyone, this is Criterion Channel Surfing, and I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Just a quick note before we begin today's show. The episode I'm releasing today was recorded back in February, just after a misdiagnosed injury from November had landed me in the emergency room and hospital with a life-threatening medical condition. After my release from the hospital, I optimistically tried to resume my regular workload and podcasting output, but health setbacks and constant diagnostic testing, along with doctor's visits to monitor my condition, have slowed my energy and pace considerably. I'll be releasing the episodes I have already recorded as my health allows, and will be moving toward just recording simplified, lightly edited episodes of the podcast, focused on new releases and expiring titles, while I continue my recovery over the next three to six months. I really want to thank you all for your patience, and thanks for listening to the show. One of my great joys during this time of illness has been this online community of film lovers, engaging with art and discussing it passionately with one another. I feel profoundly grateful to be a part of that community in some small way. Thanks for listening, everyone. And now, here's the show. You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Becky DeAnna, frequent guest on Criterion Now, Film Baby Film, Flixwise, and Wrong Reel, joins me today to talk about love stories that are only available on the Criterion channel. But first, I'll also check in with Michael Hutchins to discuss the release schedule for new films on the Criterion channel. Stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion channel. If you enjoy Criterion channel surfing, make sure to check out the Robert Taylor Odyssey, a blog written by Robert Taylor. Robert Taylor takes you along for a journey into his cinematic obsessions, from the Criterion Collection and Film Noir to the films of Akira Kurosawa and the American Film Institute's Top 100. Find out more at therobertaylorodyssey.wordpress.com. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. I'm here with Michael Hutchins, one of our regular contributors to Criterion Channel Surfing, as well as a frequent contributor to most of the Facebook groups dedicated to the Criterion Collection. He's joining me today to talk about the ways new titles and bundles make their appearances on the Criterion Channel. Michael Thank you again for joining me today. Uh, I am really excited to talk to you about this, and uh, I just really appreciate you coming on the show to uh, help give some guidance to listeners and to people who are maybe a little confused as to how uh, new releases appear on the channel. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, Josh, and I hope I can be helpful to a lot of our listeners about about this particular aspect of the channel. Yeah, you know, so one question that comes up pretty frequently in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group is that people will wonder why a title or a bundle 
isn't readily accessible from the homepage after the first of the month. And, uh, you know, you and I have been talking about the fact that it seems like there's some confusion as to how or when titles are added and uh, when they appear on the homepage. So you, you've done some research and you are kind of looking at this. This is a, uh, an observation. I noticed you put a note in your notes. Uh, this is not, <laughs> this is based on your observation of their practices and this is not in, uh, in any way uh, about inside information. <laughs> yeah, I, I am not employed by Criterion. Uh, you can look at my, my credit card statements each month and you can tell that I, I spend too much for Criterion releases to actually be an employee there. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yes, that is very, very true. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about this. What have you observed, and what what peace, what consolation can we give to our listeners? Okay, well, let's start off with how they actually make the announcements. Uh, about a week or so before the beginning of the month, usually around the 22nd, uh, maybe up through about the 25th, Criterion will send out a press release to all of the, uh, I guess, the, the subscribers or, or the uh, websites and uh, different uh, publications out there about, you know, what's coming the next month. And it usually includes not just a list of their new titles or new films, new films, but also a list of, of the bundles or the, or the collections that they brought together that they would be spotlighting in the next month. And then after that, somewhere around the last day of the month, you know, and occasionally it's been on the first day, but usually like on the 30th or 31st of the month, they will actually post on their website uh, in their, their online magazine called The Current, and it's on Criterion.com. They will they will actually list the uh, in the on the channel subcategory what the monthly lineup is for that uh, for that coming month. And they uh, along with uh, well, along with uh, listing the films, they will list the bundles as well. So you get an idea of of each day and with a, with each day of the month, they will uh, there will be a spotlight. Uh, for instance, on Saturdays, you have the Saturday matinees, which are films designed for families. On on Tuesdays, you have a combination of a short and a feature that they created, and they decided these two kind of speak to each other, so they put them together, and they, they highlight them on Tuesdays. On Wednesdays, there's always a, 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 women, a woman filmmaker. Uh, her work is highlighted. And on Friday, there's double features. And so, but, but then there's other, uh, other categories mm-hmm. with that throughout the month. Now, uh, after this announcement, people uh, will sometimes expect that these films will not be available until those dates given on the announcement. But what we've learned is that all of the films, well, practically all of the films, are uploaded on the morning of the first of the month, uh, usually around 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So every film that was announced for that month will appear and available to watch on the channel. Those those films for that month will not be seen on that page until the date they were intended to be spotlighted. Uh, this is just how a, a curated streaming service works. Mm-hmm. Uh, on certain days, they're going to highlight certain films that they think that uh, either either a single film or a bundle of films by a director or a, a thematic bundle or a collection, as they call them. And then once that day comes that film will show up on the carousel, which is at the top of the Explore page. And then from there, it gets moved down into the different categories. Right now, there's over 25 categories on that front screen. Yeah. And as we 
spoke before in another episode, uh, those categories aren't necessarily by genre. They're by different uh, breakdowns according to uh, what they want their viewers or, or want to highlight for their viewers. For instance, uh, they've been adding uh, new categories, you know, in the last few months, about four or five new categories. Just the other day, they added a new category for short films, short film collections. Mm-hmm. And before that, we've, we've got uh, new categories for the 30 years of the film foundation and um, several in the last few months. So, but the, the new films for that month that were, that were announced would not be in those categories until the day that was given in the announcement. Yeah. And I, I do think it's also worth pointing out that any of the new films, those will be in their own little lane. When, when the first of the month happens, most films are, uh, that haven't, that aren't being spotlighted that are in that newly added, uh, that category, right? There is that category called newly added. And if, and if you don't want to wait and, until a film has been spotlighted, you can always go to that page and that, that link goes directly to the video file for yeah. that one film. But there are some perks for waiting for the, for the, uh, the day mm. that the film is spotlighted because first of all, you won't, you won't be able to save those films to your watch list. If they're like, say, say a director, a director bundle, let's mm. say the Chantal Ackerman bundle. Well, let's say you want to watch, you want to add all of her films one time to your watch list. Well, you'd have to, until that bundle is actually available and brought together on that spotlighted day, you won't be able to add that whole bundle. You only can add the individual films that are on that list of the newly added films. Yeah. Yeah. And, and something else to keep in mind is that if there are films in a bundle that, uh, were on the channel previously or are part of the permanent collection, those will not be in the newly added category. Those are going to be films that you have to search for, or those are going to be films that uh, you'll want to wait until um, the bundle actually pops up. Right. If if you if you if you hear that there's a film that's available, search for it. It's right there. I yeah. know that sometimes that 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 can be you know kind of off-putting that you have to do a search for it. But I think we we get we get so used to other streaming services uh, like Netflix that wants to kind of push us towards certain films. You know, they use their uh, algorithms and they tell you you should watch this and or if you like this you should like this and all that. But uh, Criterion Channel is a different diff- different kind of streaming service, so they're yeah. not going to be like that. So yeah. you, you you pretty much uh, th- they give you some great ideas and you go from there. Yeah, I will say. Um... Something to keep in mind as you are using the search interface, as long as you are spelling the the title uh, properly, I know that I have never had any issues with the search. Uh, I don't know if you have had any issues on the search in the app. With, I was going to bring that up because I know that uh, if you make a mistake in your spelling, it's going to be hard. To, that film will not come up. And they was a, there was a problem at one time with... Uh, letters that have uh, accents mm-hmm. that sometimes you know you, you don't you don't have access where your your the alphabetical keyboard or to your app it doesn't have like an accented e or an mm-hmm. umlaut an umlauted u you know and so sometimes those would not come up. I haven't 
run into any problems with that lately because it seems like even if I just put in the regular U instead of a, a U with those with the with that those little two dots above it, whatever they call yeah. that, uh, that you, it would still pull it up. But yeah. you know that's it depends on the film and, and also it depends on how it's tagged. I yeah. think sometimes, as we were speaking uh, in, in another episode, these these ta- these tags that they add to these files are all hand done. Mm-hmm. And I, I recall maybe when the system first came up, I actually wrote a long letter to um, to the people there at Criterion and was and and uh, and I had found certain video files that had been mistagged or had no tags at all. They weren't showing up on the all films list or, or there's mm-hmm. certain reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they were so appreciative and they, uh, they, they, they tagged them like, you know, within, within 24 hours, they were there available. Yeah. So uh, if, if any of your listeners do come across situations where they're looking for a film, they know, they know that they spelled it correctly, you know, and it's not coming up, you know, Contact customer service. You know they will. Yeah. They will. They will. Yeah. They will fix it. Yeah, and I think they want to get it right. They want to get the the search right on that. And uh, you know they are a small company, and uh, they are more than happy to fix those things, as you have mm-hmm. found many times. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No, I think that's really helpful uh, and useful information for people to have. That um, that those those older films you will have to either wait for the bundle to to appear or to search you know whenever i am looking for films for uh episodes where i am going to be uh talking about uh films that are part of the the permanent library those films that are buried deeper within the collection that a lot of people don't don't think about uh the the two films that i'm going to be talking about later on in this episode one's a film by Kenosha and the other is a film starring Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee and they're films that most people aren't going to be able to find they're not part of any big bundle they're not flashy they're not films that are going to draw a lot of attention but they're 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 just smaller films and uh i have to you know know that they're there Uh, which, you know, all of the letterbox lists in our communities are really helpful for. And, you know, I have to search for them. And the search function for me has been really, really useful in finding these films. That's it. I think, I think that, uh, there are just certain aspects that people want to, uh, they want to give up. I mean, in other words, that if it's not there right in front of their face and, and, and I don't want to denigrate anybody's ability to, to search, but it's there, you know, and it's worth it. You need to just, just go for it. And, and, and it all comes back to, if you don't know what's there, then how can you search for it? And people have asked mm-hmm. me that before, and I'll, I'll point them to the website and I'll yeah. say, there's a, there's an all films list. It's a to Z, you know, yeah. and it's there for you now. Uh, and then they, they'll come back and say, well, why should I go out of the app to another device to look for a film? And so I, I, I have come to this conclusion over the almost two years of the service. And that is that Criterion considers both their, their website interface and the actual Criterion.com website and its current, uh, the current magazine to be a vital part of the Criterion collection experience and yeah. that includes the criterion channel and i know that, that people aren't used to that they, they've got their hulu they've got their netflix they've got their amazon 
and they don't go outside of those apps, you know, and, and, and that's, if there's one thing people, I want people to take away from this podcast is that, uh, the Criterion Collection is more than just a Criterion channel. It's more Mm -hmm. than just what you see on your app. It's more than what the films you're going to be pulling up on your screen, you know, and, 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 you know, maybe that may be a little, a little uh, more work than some people want, but if you want the full experience, sometimes you have to work for it. And this is not putting down Criterion or them forcing someone to, to go outside the app. And they're not, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're patient and you, you know how to search within the app, they're there. And then, you know, as you said, uh, other people's and my uh, letterbox list, I've got a list of 1,600 films in the Criterion Permanent Library. You know, I've got a list of five, all 500 and something of the, of, the, of the limited engagement films, you know, right there on letterbox, you know. And again, you know, you're going outside the app to find something that you want, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But such what I consider such a little effort for such yeah. a big reward, it's out there, you know. Yeah, and and you know, there are so many gems hidden in that permanent library. There are so many really incredible films that may never get the spotlight that some of these limited engagements are gonna get. And uh, I think it's really, really worth seeking these films out. It's it's worth um, doing some of that work. Um, that's why I'm always going to be a champion of that that permanent streaming library because I do think there are some really rich films in that that library. Oh, I love it. I love the fact that you bring that up each episode where you do have a segment where people talk about films from that from that uh, part of the library because yeah. it, it's important to know. You know, there is there's this history of the Criterion Collection that goes back yeah for decades now, and and um, and I'm not I, I'm not you know, there's no way I know how many streams of any particular film there are or not, but I would bet that, you know, almost, uh, you know, the new films, the, the limited engagement films probably get more streams than the, than the, the permanent library. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, there's, there's such, such, so much good stuff out there. I, I hate to see people uh, neglected and just, just go to those films that they know are coming up because they, they've been, uh, you know, people have, have spoken of them or, or they've been, uh, highlighted yeah but yeah and you know again i think again it's it's good to remember that it's good to always remember that criterion is a small company they have limited resources they have limited people working on the app and it's just it's good to remember that this is this is a handcrafted labor of love that they are doing and uh while uh, it definitely is still a business, and it still exists to to make money and to uh, to to hopefully curate this experience for us. It it is it is people who are, as you said, hand tagging the films. It is a small team who is putting this all together for us, and um, there are going to be mistakes sometimes. They are really gracious about uh, fixing those mistakes as soon as they hear about them. Um, and I know I, I tend to be someone who is really patient with people who are putting their heart and soul into something. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they're, they're good people there. And uh, there's situations where I, I try not to uh, 
bug them too much, you know. <laughs> and so I try kind of try to spread out my uh, my letters to them. But I'm, yes. I always get a quick response because I'm, I'm sure there's other people out there that have other concerns, you know, or other situations that probably are more pressing. But as far as the technical part of it, I, I know that there's very little that me complaining on a on a Facebook page about it is going to do. You know, it's not. Yeah. It's uh, there's very little that uh, can be done by anyone. I, I, you know, I'm sure no one at the at the channel is taking their time to go through all of the uh, online chatter about about their service. But yeah, and they're they're good people, and they're they're doing they're doing uh, what someone says. You know, the Lord's work. You know, they're yeah. they're they're yeah. out there doing doing such great work, and uh, and I'm not going to be one to uh, to put down the whole service for just one little one little bug here and there. Yeah. 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 No, I, you know, I, I think we are, we are definitely fans of Mm -hmm. what it is they're doing. And, uh, I think, you know, when Filmstruck ended, they had to make some compromises in order to get the service back up and running so quickly. And, uh, you know, I know for me, I am extremely happy with, uh, the service that we have and, uh, it is it is really interesting to see so many uh, small boutique streaming services like Ovid, like Shout Factory TV, like a lot of these small labels begin to move and use the Vimeo VHX right. skin because it is a, a really easy way for these small companies to produce a streaming service without having to build the app themselves without having to maintain the app themselves and it lets them focus on content. It lets them focus on curation. And, uh, uh, there are going to be some, some things that are not as easy. And, you know, the search is maybe one of those things. Um, it means that all content gets kind of dumped at the same time. Uh, and, uh, it means that, uh, you don't want to have, all 30 bundles spotlighted at the same time because that exactly. would be a mess uh, yeah. that would be uh that would be chaotic but by highlighting one bundle a day you know that you're going to get new supplements highlighted each day you're going to have something new to look at each each day of the month and uh i think it's a a really wise decision on their part and uh it uh, it teaches uh, it teaches us all uh, a little patience, right? Right. Yeah. Talking about supplements, uh, I was going to say that the way they release the actual bundles on the Explore page, you will find the supplements aren't added until that day. So, for instance, if they're going to do a uh, an interview with the filmmaker, uh, mm-hmm. that won't be that won't appear until the actual bundle does. For yeah. instance, today uh, we're recording this on Monday the 22nd. I'm looking at the monthly schedule for uh, tomorrow, February the 23rd. We're going to have uh, Black Fire, five short films by Kevin Jerome Everson and Claudrina in Herald. And mm-hmm. uh, I have seen the films, but I'm looking forward to seeing the introduction. That introduction mm-hmm. will probably be loaded up later tonight or maybe in the morning. It's usually in the evening before where they actually... Yeah put these bundles together uh, and then they don't put, they, they probably won't put them on the explore page until then, but you can search for them. Uh, I know that I, someone was speaking uh, a while back about, it was a bundle that was scheduled for Sunday and uh, they, they were concerned about uh, not being able to, about having to look for every film or search for every film in that bundle. 
And I was saying, well, it's scheduled for Sunday, so just wait until Friday evening. Yeah. Because, you know, they're, they're, I'm sure no one's in the offices on Sunday. So they set up a lot of things on Friday evenings. And so uh, on that particular Friday, there it was, the whole bundle. For instance, this past Sunday, they did it. They did it with the uh, the new Adventures in Movie Going series with Wyatt Cenac. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a, even though it was highlighted for, it was spotlighted for uh, Sunday, it was actually appeared on Friday evening, you know. Mm. So I was, I was able to watch all of, all of that then. And so, uh, but my point is that uh, sometimes you're going to get these uh, these small features that are that are created, the original content created mm-hmm. by the channel. And my goodness, are we getting some good stuff? Uh, yeah. I mean, but filmmakers that you, I mean, me personally that I knew nothing about, and I'm just getting bowled away every month about you know learning about the new filmmakers and then these these conversations that having with them that just add so much context to mm. what you're watching. So right now I'm look I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking uh, I've already seen the films by Okusua Dama um mm. Owusu. I've seen mm-hmm. the films and it wasn't till the 17th when they actually had, uh, spotlighted the bundle that's able to watch the conversation they had with her. And that was so good. It's, I mean sometimes I I tell myself I need to wait until that actual day so I can see those those interviews. Yeah. And I'm, I'm normally a person that don't want to get a lot of information up front about a movie that I, I want to come in pretty cold. But in this case, uh, they're they're not only spoiling the films, and in, in mm-hmm. you would think that in their conversation that they might. Really, it's it's more about their process and not necessarily about any individual films. But it, in this case, I was I was happy to have seen the films first, and then I was able to to hear her her take on each of the films. So. Yeah, that's that's just something. Uh, another perk for waiting for that day to to get these original con- original content created by the channel, and in this uh, age of the pandemic, to get to still be getting that yeah. is a wonder. You know, it's that's just, really neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you so much. I think this has been a really rich conversation, and hopefully gives our listeners some real peace of mind about when this content will be uh, around and you know and and I just want to keep encouraging people that if you are having trouble finding stuff and you double check and you've spelled things right uh, I'll just echo what Michael has said before go ahead and reach out to customer service and let them know because this is this is stuff that they want to know uh, they want to know when something doesn't work the way it's supposed to um, and uh, I know in every experience that I've had with customer service for Criterion, both on the channel and and with their physical releases, they have been just a really outstanding company to to deal with. And so I would I would highly recommend reaching out to them. I, I second that emotion. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Michael, where can people find you? I will be on Criterion Channel Club, and I'll ask answer any questions you have about uh, how, how this program is released and how it's how it's spotlighted. I'm also available on Criterion Now Facebook Club and my lister on Letterboxd under Michael Hutchins. That's great. We'll be right back with more Criterion Channel Surfing as Becky, DeAnne, and I discuss love stories that are only available on the Criterion Collection's permanent digital library. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, make sure to check out Good Times, Great Movies, hosted by Doug McCambridge and Jamie Lorello, a podcast about the best, but usually the worst, of 80s cinema. 
Every other Friday, Doug and Jamie discuss a film from the 80s. Some are films they haven't seen since they were kids and offer a contemporary perspective. Others are films they've never seen before but probably should have. Do they hold up? Are they classics? Or would these films just be better off having been lost to time? Find out more at goodtimesgreatmovies.com. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with Becky Diana, frequent guest on Criterion Now, Film Baby Film, Flixwise, and Wrong Reel. And we're getting ready to dive into Criterion's permanent streaming digital library. Because the channel releases so much incredible content each month, it's really easy to overlook the permanent library. So here on the podcast, we do try to pay special attention to these titles and give you a few films to check out that you may have missed. This month, we're looking at love stories, the good, the bad, the funny, the tragic. It's one of cinema's most enduring genres, so we thought we'd return to the theme once again. If you'd like to follow along at home, Michael Hutchins has compiled a letterbox list of Criterion streaming-only titles. You can find a link to that in our show notes. Uh, so, Becky, uh, you mentioned in our last episode that uh, you really enjoy love stories. What is it about the genre that really draws you to it? Oh, I'm just so, I just think I'm a romantic and you, you might see that with the films that I highlight, but I absolutely, I, it's always nice to see love and how it's translated on screen. Um, and idealistic love is always amazing too. And I, I tend to gravitate towards the uplifting, wildly romantic stories. Um, so, mm -hmm. and those are the two films I'm highlighting this month are, are in those, uh, in that genre. Uh, but I, I, it's just, I, I'm a big, uh, I'm idealist and, um, I, I believe that I believe in true love and I believe that it's possible to meet the person that is the, um, that you will connect with and the one person for you, the, the pot, every pot has a lid type person. So I really do gravitate towards romantic films. And I think some of my favorite films in really of all time are, are films that have are romantic and have an amazing love story. Oh, that's great. That's great. That's really fun. Well, why don't we just dive right in and what is the, uh, what's the first film that you want to talk about that is uh, <laughs> deeply romantic? Okay. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners, if they do know who I am, they know I'm obsessed with Igmar Bergman. So I'm going to choose my favorite Igmar Bergman film and um, it's a lesser known Bergman film, but uh, you'll see quickly that my favorite Igmar Bergman film is his most romantic film. That's why I love it. Um, it's 1951 <laughs> Summer Interlude. Um, it's wildly romantic. It's wonderful. It's a type of film that I think about when um, people say that he's bleak. And um, and I'm like, you got to see this movie. It's just got one of the most wonderful endings. Like the when I first saw this movie, um, I saw it, a VHS copy of it. Um, from Rocket Video on La Brea in LA. And um, I, when it ended, I literally had tears streaming down my face and I was clapping. And I was just mm. in my apartment by myself, just so moved. And um, when the video store, Rocket Video, closed its doors uh, about five years later, when I found out they were uh, closing, uh, Summer Interlude wasn't available on, um, on Blu-ray or DVD or anywhere. The only time I'd only seen it a few times on VHS and from that video store. So I raced down to the video store and I bought the copy of it, the one that I fell mm. in love with and I still have it. And um, really kind of like stalked Criterion for a few years online um, on Twitter saying like, 
can you release this movie? Could you please release this movie? And yeah. I, I'd like to think it was because of they wanted me to stop tweeting them, but they uh, put it out <laughs> in 2012 and it was, ex it was amazing. Um, and it's, it's actually my uh, favorite Bergman film and my fifth favorite film of all time. So at my wedding, I had my husband and I each had five, uh, we, uh, we had 10 tables. And so we picked f our five favorite films to represent each table. And so I had a summer interlude table. And I had a mm. quote from uh, the film. But um, in general, I mean, the, in the 50s, Bergman was just starting to explore his characters and that they would solve their own problems and have the search for self-knowledge and growth. And the 50s are for Bergman are my favorite time of his whole filmography. A lot of people really love the 70s and the 60s. 60s is amazing, but I really do love the 50s. Um, but I love about this film in particular is this was the first film where Bergman felt like he was like functioning independently with his own style. And he really had this confidence that he hadn't had previously. And he also mm. develops a lot of things in this film that really translate to the rest of his career. In particular, like he deals with destiny and that people are sort of governed by some unseen force and a force without pity that may strike in an instance of happiness. And so he does that in this film. Um, he also, this is the first time that he scrutinizes an actress with close-ups, um, which Ol with Liv Lee Oldman had always talked about how like the Bergman camera sees more of like who you are inside. He did these close-ups for the first time with Marie in the film. And also this is his his most like profound female character and he does explore women throughout his filmography. This is the um, a really key film where he really gets into the psyche of women. Um, so it's an important film to his filmography. Uh, the other thing is that Bergman's characters are often consumed by spiritual challenges and not physical. So love and self-knowledge are the only like two weapons they can to resist this. And that's another thing that he starts off with. But this film is just has just some wildly romantic scenes um, in particular. Um, it's it's about this Marie. It's a ballet dancer. And she um, has she starts off the film and she um, is having a bad time with her this guy wants to be with her and loves her, but she really can't take that extra step. And then they have a lot of flashbacks, which is another huge thing that Bergman started to do in, in this film that he does in future films. Um, and you get to see why she is the way she is. And through the journey of this film and looking at her past, she she realizes that she does, she can embrace happiness, that she can embrace, um, you know, being uh, love. And she does. And it's a wonderful wonderful hmm. film for so many reasons and um in particular there's an amazing scene in the middle where she is with the love of her life and they're like drawing um and under the moonlight and there's like little like uh these like characters that they draw come to life it's just magic this film is is magic and there's foreshadowing and there's also like fun little things like you know death um for not death's not fun but they kind of foreshadow seven seal like they're playing chess in it and actually um her boyfriend's like guardian is sort of seen as like an icon of, like represents death so it's interesting there's like if you're a big bergman fan there's so many small little things that really like get you excited about and and when like i said when i try to encourage people to see bergman films and see them in a certain way and see them chronologically that's what's so great about doing that is that like you said there's so many things in this film that are the beginning of Bergman realizing that he can do all these things that he does throughout the rest of his uh, filmography and and also it's just the most wonderful romantic film you've seen it right yeah I have seen it I 
really, there's a lot that I love about this film. Uh, I think that middle passage to me is just ravishing. And I think there is so much beauty in that, uh, in that central relationship. It's been a couple of years now since I've seen it. I'm, uh, really interested in revisiting it uh, as I eventually finish my way through the the Bergman filmography through the set that uh, that that I have, and uh, the ending is one that I'm not completely sure on. Uh, <laughs> I'm not I'm not completely sold on the ending, and I'm not completely sold on the. You're uh, not completely sold on the, on her bow in the future. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm not completely sold on the pestering uh, the the pestering. Uh, dude but (laughs) (laughs) but that's you know but that's okay i I, but i i I do think though that it still is bergman exploring a lot of the themes that he is going to continue to revisit through so much of his filmography yeah and uh and i do think that 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 central that that central passage is just so good and so sharp and so insightful that uh, it's just it's it's beautiful it's uh, you know some of the most uh like you said some of the most ravishing filmmaking and some of the most insightful character mm-hmm. study do you like I her you like her past love her true love oh of course yes of course of course, of course. yeah and i think that to me is is the is the 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 crux in the heart of oh it. yes yeah. and he's the main part and then i think that this is a film that really demonstrates what i believe in that there is someone out there true love and this yeah. was her true love and she also grapples with and it's it's not giving anything away. This character is it's very revealed in the very beginning of the movie that her her love has died, and so she's dealing with that. Um, and yeah. and then you get to see how she met him and their whole relationship, which is absolutely wonderful. But when he does die in the film, she deals with like hating God and hating like that's something yeah. she really deals with, which is something so real and human of like lashing out at something you truly believe in and and are a spiritual person but you're like how could this you know this person this um how how could he have done this to me how could he have taken away this person and dealing with that and it's very really pointed dialogue of and again he explores that in seven seal like you're grappling with like your spirituality and and again he shows it Mm -hmm. there but what i really love about um also even if you don't like like the guy that she, you know, has a second chance with in this movie that you're saying. What's really wonderful is that there is the um, this also like she Bergman has a thing where characters look at mirrors and the mirrors help them reveal their true self. And that's mm-hmm. another thing he does for the first time in this movie is the yeah. the ballet dancer. Marie is looking in the mirror and she has makeup and as she takes off her makeup, she's sort of revealing who she is and it's really powerful stuff. And there's a ballet master who's talking to her. And for that scene in particular, he's sort of like a symbol of death. But when he kisses her very quickly in that movie and it's a sign of reawakening and you actually see it like her becoming, realizing who she is and that she can love again. And so maybe if even if you don't really own this guy that she is with at the end, maybe that's not going to be who she is with but she i think mm. it helps her reveal remember that hey i can love again i can allow myself to love again yeah. um and it's really it marks the end of the this bond to her past when she gets this kiss and there's so many amazing things about this film are so profound little things um and so i i hope yeah. people don't dismiss um seeing his earlier work because this is a great one and i and it is very romantic 
Yeah, and I do think that people need to definitely need to see his early work because I think his early work is so so good and is so foundational for for what is to come. Yeah, that's great. Well, the the first film that I am going to talk about is uh, Kisuke Kinoshita's The Girl I Loved from 1946. I've said this before on the podcast that uh, there are so many Kenoshita films in the permanent streaming-only library that if I don't try to tackle a Kenoshita film every few episodes, <laughs> then by the time I end the podcast, all I'm going to be talking about are Kenoshita films. So I try to work them in every once in a while. And you know, I, I chose this just on a whim uh, as I was looking for uh, love stories and didn't know if, how I was going to respond to it, didn't know what this was going to be like. And I was absolutely blown away by this film. Uh, this film moved me in ways that I was not uh, expecting. And uh, uh, this just was incredible. Um, it is the story of Jingo and Yoshiko. Uh, Jingo is a, uh, a young boy uh, living on a ranch in Japan when um, his parents discover a, an abandoned baby in one of the, the cattle stalls, uh, and that is Yoshiko. And her parents have just committed suicide and left the baby there uh, to be raised by Jingo's uh, family. And over the years, in a very quick montage, Jingo, uh, we, we see Jingo really kind of caring for Yoshiko, and we see him uh, really falling in love with her uh, as the two grow up together. And uh, the the film cuts to them as, as young adults, and uh, Jingo has just come back from uh, World War II. Uh, he has survived, and he comes back to work on the ranch uh, with his family. And um, he is uh, ready to kind of confess his love to her but he's he's scared uh too and the the two of them have secrets that they're going to share with one another on the the night of an upcoming festival uh and as uh he does so he discovers that she is actually in love with someone else and that's the secret that she's going to tell and so it becomes this story of unrequited love and about uh, doing what is best for the person that you love. Aww. And uh, it's a beautiful film. Uh, the The man that she loves is was injured in the war as well. And there's a, a beautiful scene of the, the two men bonding uh, over the, the experiences that they suffered. Uh, both Jingo and Yoshiko are characters who have endured trauma who have endured loss and grief. Uh, Yoshiko is haunted a little bit by the memory of her parents who died, even though she never knew them. That still kind of is, is something that, that haunts her a bit, um, even though she has people around her that care for her. Uh, it's just, it's this beautiful, touching romantic drama that, uh, really becomes about family, about sacrificing what you want to 
to make sure that uh, your family is taken care of, to make sure that the people you love are taken care of and that their happiness is taken care of. There's this beautiful scene when Yoshiko is helping the the man uh, who she loves, who is, again, has a limp, He's and he's kind of coming up to meet Jingo. She's helping him navigate the hills, and uh, Jingo sees just how much she loves him as he's as she's helping him walk, and it's one of the more more beautiful scenes. I mean, it brought tears to my wow. eyes. I was not expecting that from this this short little film, uh, and uh, just to see how how Kenoshida captured so much of this uh, very almost wordlessly. It's a very quiet film. So much of it is. Uh, captured in these shots of nature uh, that so much is left unsaid between the characters in these kind of cutaways to the grass to the the sky uh, there's almost a uh, this is the type of film that could have been uh, an American western but uh, it does a really good job of still situating it in Japanese society it's uh it's beautiful it's moving it again just uh, blew me away and i was not expecting to love this film as much as i was i thought it would be a, a really pleasant one to recommend but uh this is one that i just i want to give uh real props to and uh, uh i think is is uh just a magnificent uh beautiful poetic film uh, that i think uh, everyone should uh definitely catch Wow, yeah. I can't wait to see this movie. That sounds incredibly moving. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Kenosha is one of those filmmakers. He had, he was such a workhorse of a filmmaker. Uh, and uh, I just have come to kind of take him for granted. And uh, to see something that was this stirring was really beautiful. Yeah. Becky, what is the second film you want to talk about today? Oh, gosh. Uh, it's Children of Paradise the French film that re was released in 1945 and it was actually filmed during uh, the German occupation of France. So it's, it's just got so much history behind it, but it is another wildly romantic film. And I have been lucky enough to see this film twice on the big screen. And it's the closest oh, thing wow. to a religious experience I've ever had watching a film in my lifetime. It's just, mm -hmm. It's just everything. Like, I, I don't even know. I've And I've actually podcasted about this film twice now um, on FlixWise and on Wrong Reel. We've done two episodes devoted to it. So if you're interested in hearing me talk for an hour about <laughs> it, those two podcast appearances exist. But it's just, um, I, there's just not enough adjectives to throw at this film. It is so wonderful. And it's about a woman named Garance. And there's four suitors um, that are interested in her and they're all just so intricate like these characters um they have such interesting things about them it's also just the cinematography is gorgeous the storytelling is amazing i it's and also the dialogue is some is just pure poetry uh, there's so many mm -hmm. things that the, these characters say and almost all of them it's that it just would you could make a whole book about poetry just from this way that they speak and it's just so wonderful i just i also love how um and i've mentioned this before uh, uh, in past episodes that thomas lebhart um wrote a something called a, a book called modern and postmodern mime and he suggests that um that the three that three 
the men but the four um love uh garants in this film from different parts of their body um the character lessonaire mm. loves her from his head baptiste who's my favorite character um loves um garants with his heart and frederick loves her uh, of the loves the flesh loves her you know mm-hmm. loves her body um but garants doesn't really settle for any of these um and she's her own person really it's just the there's so many things about these characters i mean they really develop true friendships throughout the films in particular baptiste and frederick and garance there is a real passage of time in both of these there's a part one and a part two and uh the film the when this this movie was made um the Nazis banned all films over 90 minutes long, but Marcel Carnet, who made the film, decided just to make two films, and he was sort of confident mm-hmm. that he would be able to show them together when the war was over. And by the time uh, the, the occupation was over and the war was over, he was able to re- show these films together. And there is a part one and a part two. And and uh, and it's in it, they're just just breathtaking the i'm not even like a i don't i don't really gravitate typically to like period um like costume dramas but i don't even think of it as that it's just so much more than that um because you really get to see these characters develop and um and and learn from each other and and develop especially in part two you see the friendship that they some of them are are sort of rivals in the beginning and that they have true respect and friendship for each other it's really it's really just I, I, I'm now at a loss for words to say how extraordinary uh, this film is. And um, in particular, I want to talk about love for this film because we are mm. in the, that is the theme for this. But another thing I've mentioned before, which is very a modern thing to say, is there was a TV show um, called How I Met Your Mother. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. if you've seen it, but there was this great uh, thing they came up with in the show, which I really think is uh, hilarious and in, in tr- contributing to this movie. And it's called uh, Dahmer versus Dobbler. And what it is <laughs> is that they said, like, if both people like each other when there's a romantic gesture, John, that it's um, that it's it's considered this wildly romantic thing, like when Lloyd Dobbler holds up the stereo to the girl mm-hmm. that he likes. It's just like, oh my gosh, so romantic. But if a person that you're not that into does that, then they come off as like serial killer crazy, like they're like <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's so, yeah. it's just, in, it's so true. It's such a great little thing when they call it Dahmer versus Dobbler in this TV show. And they do that in this in this movie, I feel like, because, you know, um, the there is a, a a character in the film that loves the main character Baptiste, but she's just like obsessed with him, and he's just not into her. Um, so and mm-hmm. he's and she's like, ugh, like she's too clingy, and she just wants him to have him. And it's that thing. It's just in general, and I think everyone's had it where if there's someone not that into them, they think that they're annoying. But if there's someone that you just love, then everything they do is just the most romantic thing ever. And I said, I think that's wonderful. But I, the other thing this film really talks about is that we deserve to be loved by someone as much as they love us. And I really believe in that. And accepting people for who and what they are, like off the rack, no changes. I really think that Baptiste just loves Garance, just absolutely who she is. And he loves her for that. And she does as well. But um, she, it's too late for her at the end to um, be able to... To, to let him know that Baptiste and I don't know like if they're the right person that you can't say the wrong thing those are all things that I just always talk about and when you when you find true love and I feel like this film and another one I tout about is defending your life a lot because I feel like that film is really mm-hmm. um, shows how true love can be effortless I just think that this film has so many tenants in it that in regards to 
what it's like to have true love and how unrequited love um, can tear apart a relationship as well. Um, but these characters are so amazing. And this is a long film, but I it's so worth it. And if there's if you ever have a chance to see it in a theater, take it um, and just book the tickets and go. And hopefully after this pandemic is over, there's another opportunity. I've only had two, but it's also just extraordinary on, you know, Criterion and it's gorgeous film. And I don't know if I gave enough uh, for the film, but like I said, if you if you really want to go through some of the key dialogue for the film or or really about all these characters, I, I take a deep dive into all of them. I really refer you to the um, go to my website and and I have two uh, podcast appearances on there where I just gush about this film for for an hour um, on both of them. And I you just have to take the opportunity to see it. It's it's a life changing film. Yeah, this Children of Paradise, I think, is just one of the the masterpieces of cinema. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of those, I think, on the the last last month, I talked with Aaron West about 30s and 40s French cinema and talked just very briefly about the fact that uh, this is one of those films that helped get me into art house cinema in general. Oh, amazing! And you know, this is this is part of that wave of films that I saw when I was just kind of consuming so much uh, of this type of film and this type of art. Uh, when I was watching a lot of Fellini, when I was watching the my first Bergman films, when I was kind of just getting into this type of work, and uh, Children of Paradise is one of those ones that I found so moving and so just beautiful uh i had uh i used to teach theater at uh at the college level and uh, i made my students watch this one year oh. and because uh, i just think it's it's such a beautiful film uh and uh i think it also says a lot about the the relationship mm -hmm. between art and the the on-screen on-stage personas and off-stage personas yeah. and there's just there's so much here that i think is is so beautiful and i think that there are so many themes that you can tease out and explore and uh this this love story this uh this doomed romance here is really really beautiful that uh yeah i think this is a an incredible film yeah, and it's often touted as the best French film of all time, and I would definitely agree with that. I would not challenge that. Yeah, yeah it's it's pretty, it's just magnificent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. That's a perfect yeah, word for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my second film is uh, a uh, more modest film from the UK. It is Basil Dean's 21 Days from 1940. Uh, it was produced by Alexander Corda, who was doing a lot of British films at that time. And uh, this one stars Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee. Uh, and it is the story of Larry Durant, who is a, he's kind of the ne'er-do-well brother of a successful lawyer who is up to become an, a new judge. And he's back in town to see his lover Wanda and as they come back to her apartment they discover her husband and the husband is ready to blackmail them both and a scuffle ensues where the the husband has a knife out and Larry accidentally kills the husband so uh, what do you do you hide the body <laughs> and uh uh, try to pretend it never happened. Larry goes to his brother to figure out what to do. And 
rather than encourage Larry to turn himself in as Larry wants. Uh, the brother says, no, you can't do that. That's going to look bad for me. So uh, I think that you should pretend it never happened and leave the country. <laughs> and it's this really, really fascinating uh, bit of a thriller, but it's also this this love story between Larry and Wanda. And, you know, Larry's brother tells him that he should never see Wanda again, but, you know, true love can't can't be stopped by simple things as murder and uh uh, turns out that uh wanda's husband was not actually her husband but he had married a whole bunch of women in order to to scam them uh over the the years and uh so it turned out that the marriage was null and void Uh, she had married him out of desperation uh to to keep herself from starving and as the trial or as the as things progress uh, an innocent man is arrested for the murder and larry can't have that on his conscience and as the trial progresses he tells his brother that if this man gets convicted i'm going to turn myself in and uh, so he and wanda have 21 days together before the end of the trial and he tells his brother that if this man is convicted he's going to turn himself in and uh uh, he and Wanda get married. They try to spend as much time together as they can and try to um, enjoy what little time they have before he um, before he inevitably has to face the consequences for his actions. It combines these these elements of kind of the doomed romance with uh, the noir. It's got great great use of shadows and uh, darkness. Uh, and also this, uh, not a literal clock, but there's that kind of ticking ticking clock uh, element to the story as the days go on, as the courtroom uh, trial progresses, and as uh, Larry and Wanda's happiness begins to ebb away. There's some, some really poignant moments throughout as they try to just grab as much happiness as they can uh, in their life together. Uh, it also has this really great, commentary on class and on this idea that sometimes the the most sometimes it's the the people who seem to be the most respectable who are the least ethical and the ones who are maybe the ones who who seem to be the the least reputable who uh, actually have the the higher sense of morality and ethics Mm -hmm. it's a it's a really really compelling little film Uh, i won't give too much away but uh you know, this was, you know, the forties in the UK. So it, it doesn't quite have the, I I think it, it takes some cops out a little bit at times, uh, but it still is really compelling and uh, got great performances. I mean, again, you've got Vivian Lee, you've got Laurence Olivier. You you really can't go wrong with the performances there. Really, really worth watching. Both of the films that I'm recommending are an hour and 15 minutes long. So uh, they're those kind of nice, nice quick watches if you're looking for something shorter to watch uh and uh this is a a really really enjoyable one (laughs) children of paradise is like three hours so (laughs) i know it's nice 
It's the nice, the nice counterpoint to the yeah. Three and well, a half Summer Interlude's <laughs> about about ninety minutes or less. Um, yeah. most of Bergman's films, a lot other than those uh, made-for-TV films, are pretty short. Yes, but those are great, and I feel like I didn't do my homework because I didn't see the your two recommendation films. But I now I, I feel like one of your listeners. I can't wait to check these two films out. Those are yeah. sound really compelling recommendations. Yeah, they're they're fun, and and I enjoy kind of just finding those random ones that are really those discoveries. Because uh, again, they're they're just buried sometimes on yeah. the channel. Of course, I pick like the two films that are like my heart and soul put on screen. Like I <laughs> like I'm just gonna pick the two most romantic films I've ever seen. Um, Which is so, great. Yeah, so I'll highlight the highlight that. But it's nice to highlight some films that ha- don't get a lot of um, recognition. That's great. Yes, exactly. Exactly. We have both. Yes. We have the, the heart and soul and we have the, the more obscure titles. And that's, I think, that's part of what's great about these conversations is we can do both. Well, those are four films to catch on the Criterion channel that you may have missed. Summer Interlude by Ingmar Bergman. The Girl I Love by Kisuke Kenoshida. Children of Paradise by Marcel Carnet. And 21 Days by Basil Dean. Becky, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, this is so much fun, and I've enjoyed this conversation so much. Oh, I did too. It was great. And I love putting my my heart on uh, heart out there for you guys all to see. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Uh, where can people find you online? So they can find me on Twitter, mostly, and my Twitter handle is Hollywood Minotaur, and that's Hwood Minotaur. I mostly tweet about Bergman, but I do tweet about uh, also just current films I, I love and, um, and films that I've seen, you know, f- favorite retrospectives that I'm w- currently watching as well. And I also tweet about Terminator. So it's just a real eclectic account to follow if you decide to follow it. But additionally, <laughs> uh, my website is beckydeanna.com. And that's a place that you can, if you do want to listen to some of my, you, me do a deep dive on uh, Children of Paradise. I did it for Wrong Real and for Flixwise. Both of those episodes can be found um, in the podcast appearances section of my website. And also you can just explore my website. I also have uh, top 10 lists from the past like 15 years. Um, so, and I will be releasing my 2020 top 10 list a little late, but it will be coming out, um, this year, um, in the next few weeks. So it should be on there when you check it out. When this episode comes out, it should be up. Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at CriterionChannelSurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash Josh Hornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. 
And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. I'd like to thank this month's new Patreon supporter, Celeste de la Cabra. Thank you so much for supporting the show, and I'd like to continue to thank all of our regular supporters. Your support really does mean so much. On the next episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, Becky DeAnna and I will return for a follow-up to today's episode in which we'll discuss love stories that are available on other streaming services. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.